The Journey Into Podcast Patreon is proud to present this Star Trek podcast, where Marshall Latham and Keith Tecklitz go where many Star Trek fans have gone before, talking endlessly about the Star Trek franchise. Please come and join us as we go trekking. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Trekkin' here on uh, the Journey Into Patreon page. Actually, this episode, though, will go out to everybody on the main feed and everything. My name is uh, Marshall Latham. And I'm Keith Teklitz. Keith and I are on a on a quest, or a trek, I guess. <laughs> that, that's probably <laughs> a better way to describe it. We're going to watch and review every Star Trek series and uh, we've added movies to it as well so we're making our way through the second half of the first season of all of the series we've only done the, the first couple mm-hmm. but uh it's time to talk about star trek 2 the wrath of khan yes the second ever movie of the star trek franchise these episodes we like to share with everybody. Yep. I've been looking forward to this episode, but I've also been a little bit scared of it because I love this movie so much. I want to give it its due without being too uh, sympathetic or whatever, whatever that word is. Too, too much of a fanboy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, arguably this is, I, I would say, probably almost everybody's favorite movie of the original crew, at least. There there are a few people out there who might like Star Trek VI a little bit more. But we're few and far between ourselves. <laughs> now, it had been quite a while since I've watched this movie. And, man, it holds up. Yes, it does. It is still my favorite Star Trek movie. So It is so good. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I thought maybe, first of all, we'd talk a little bit about so how did you what was your first experience with uh, the movie oh geez this this one i know i remember seeing it as a young kid uh with my brother and probably my parents too but i don't know they they weren't that into star trek so my brother definitely was and i remember seeing it and talking about Khan and how how kind of cool he seemed and I remember seeing the original Space Seed episode that he appeared in and then just, you know, seeing it seeing it at home, not in the theater originally. I was a right. little too young for that. But uh, I, I do know that eventually we got the VHS set, uh, the five film set where it was the the five the five VHS tapes that came together and each one of them combined to make the picture of the Enterprise. Oh, right. Yeah, I had that one, too. Yeah. yeah, so I remember seeing that, and I remember watching this one a lot. So it's it's definitely one of the more cinematic, for sure, of the yeah. Star Trek stories. And it's it's very impressive. It, it takes what the motion picture 
it, it learned from the motion picture for sure and and definitely made a much more interesting and and motivating story and action based and it just it made it fun too yeah and this was really i mean it, i can't say it's my first star trek experience but it really is where i became a fan of star trek i hadn't seen mm-hmm. the motion picture i didn't even know that existed <laughs> or whatever um and i think i mentioned before you know i had seen some of the original series episodes as they were on for reruns or whatever. Right. But I wasn't a devoted, you know, oh, I have to see every episode of Star Trek, but I'd catch it on occasion. I had a friend that liked it, and so we'd watch it together, and my sister liked it, and so I was aware of what Star Trek was and basically who the characters were. But yeah, Space Seed, I would, I had no clue, you know, about that episode until years later after seeing this movie, but... Right. But yeah, this this movie made it real. Uh, this is where I became a fan of the series. Even though, you know, I hadn't known Spock for years and years, I felt the impact, uh, spoilers, of his death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> and uh, man, yeah, it just made it real for me. So there, there is a for lot sure. of nostalgia with it, but... Like say it's it's been a long time since I've seen it, and so I was able to look at it through more of a critical lens this time. And man, I yeah, I mean, there's a couple little things that I'll that we can talk about, but <laughs> for the most part, I just thought it was one of those perfect movies. You know, there's there's not not too right. much uh, to take out of it. Agreed. Um, so you alerted me months ago. That this was going to be coming out for its anniversary. What, 40th anniversary, right? Yes, 40th anniversary. Yeah, this year. And so uh, I was able to get tickets for the Fathom event and go see this in the movie theater. Uh, My wife and I were a little bit late getting into the theater. And I was kind of stressing out about it. We didn't miss much. Uh, We just missed the opening credits. And uh, just to bury a little bit at the, at the beginning, but we we got there right. before the Kobayashi Maru started and all that. But okay, uh, but we did come into it a little bit late, and uh, yeah, there was a guy behind me in line. We were waiting to to get our tickets once we were at the theater, and uh, the guy behind me was like asking, "Is this the line you have to wait for tickets?" Or I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh man." I hope I don't miss much. Because <laughs> this is my favorite movie. I don't want to miss it. So I was like, "Yeah, that's the, that's what we're here to do is watch uh, Wrath of Khan." So there weren't too many people in the theater. I don't know how, but when you watched it, how many people were in your theater? Uh, I mean, it was it was relatively crowded. Uh, we I went to what my uh, stepdaughter's uncle is a, a huge Wrath of Khan fan. And he, he doesn't have anybody really else that's a Star Trek fan in his life. So he's see he asked her if she wanted to go, and he knew that I was a big Star Trek fan. So he's like, "So does he want to go too?" So we did, and and we all went down to an Alamo Draft House, which is okay, uh, yeah, one of those special movie theaters. So we drove a while to get down to it, and you know, make it a big event. So I don't know if that played a part in why there are so many, but I'd say it was at least half full. 
uh, oh, for, for that theater. Yeah. And there's quite a few people there. I'd say including my wife and I, there was probably 20 people in our theater. Now, this was the third. We went the third night. It played on a Sunday night, Tuesday night, and a Thursday night. We were there the last night Whew. on Thursday. So I don't know if there was more people there on the Saturday or, right. or what, or no, on the Sunday night or whatever. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I wanted to see it, and I I caught it. So that was good. Yeah, when we went to see Voyage Home, that's probably about how many people were in the theater. It was probably somewhere around 20, all told. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so I, but I guess the, you know, I was in a big megaplex thing, so it, it, it felt more empty than, than right. yours, probably. Yeah. Yeah, our, our seats were a little bit more plush and wide and <laughs> yep. had tables and all that kind of stuff, too. So it was, it was a nice little experience. Well, that's good. That's good. Yes. So, do we want to go through this plot point by plot point, or how do you how do you want to proceed with this one? Uh, well, I think we kind of got to do a, a brief little synopsis of Space Seed. Oh, at that, one point, there you maybe. go. Yeah, that's probably a good good point. Just just to give the the idea of what what has come before. Yeah, do you want to give a, a quick little synopsis of Space Seed? Sure. So, this is this is back in the original series, season one, the second half of the season. So we haven't covered it yet in our not in yet, our but we podcasts. will. Yeah. Yep, it's coming. But the the USS Enterprise, you know, finds the derelict USS Botany Bay adrift in space, and so Captain Kirk, Leonard McCoy, and Engineer. Scott and a historian, Marla McGivers, beams to over to the freighter, and they find pretty much eighty-four humans, seventy-two of whom are alive in suspended animation, and twelve having died. And so basically, it's it's just finding a what we've always now come to see as the the frozen people in the spaceship type of thing. Right, uh, you. You know, Aliens has done it really well, but I mean, this is the first time I think maybe anybody's ever done something like that. But McGivers identifies, you know, hey, here's the leader, and they take him back to the Enterprise to revive him and have him be medically examined, make sure he's okay. And so Kirk takes the Botany Bay and tractor beam, and they set course for Starbase, and in the meantime, the, the leader wakes up and he introduces himself as Khan. And this historian, Lieutenant McGivers, just becomes enamored with him. And she's like got this thing for like strong, masculine, male, <laughs> almost tyrants like Genghis Khan. And I mean, obviously this Khan and, and you know, just those ideas of the strong military man who lean who who leads with an iron fist type of thing and you know he's he's a living relic of the 20th century basically and so spock discovers that it's khan noonan singh who was part of in the 20th century there was selective breeding in order to create perfect humans so it's kind of becomes the turns into the eugenic wars of the 1990s 
which was part of the the collapse of society and culture, which then led to World War Three, and we find out more stuff about that. But it was, it was this big thing over, you know, who should who should be the the leaders and all of those. And Khan was a benevolent dictator, but he was a dictator, and he still wanted to unite all of humanity under him. So Khan basically chose exile because it was either that or or to die because that that's pretty much everybody else had been defeated so that that was all that was left for him and so Khan's placed under guard in his quarters and McGivers is sent in to to brief him and he takes advantage of her and the fact that he's just has this power over her because she's so attracted to him and he tells her you know he wants to find a planet willing to be led by him and all he wants is take over Enterprise in order to do that. And so she she agrees and basically starts a mutiny and beams Khan over at Botany Bay where he's revives the rest of his people. And then they return to Enterprise and take control of the ship, but they're not able to navigate it and figure out where it's supposed to go. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where, you know, Khan's really intelligent stronger than the average person but he just doesn't have the experience and the knowledge of today's technology right and so Khan throws kirk into a decompression chamber and threatens to slowly suffocate everybody until at least one of the crew agrees to help him and he says you know i'll treat you well if you join me and you know improving man is better than improving machines and that's what Khan's kind of saying is like you know you have all this technology you improve that but not yourselves and so not a single crew member helps him and Khan is like dumbfounded by this he just doesn't understand why not and so all of a sudden McGivers realizes what she's kind of done and what what her her mutiny has led to and so she frees Kirk and then Kirk and Spock vent basically a an anesthetic gas and in order to disable Khan and all of his people. And Khan escapes and goes to engineering where he tries to destroy Enterprise, but Kirk confronts him and then they fight and Kirk knocks Khan unconscious, winning in a battle of fisticuffs. <laughs> so Kirk, you know, holds a right. Exactly. It's, it's Kirk. That's what he does. So he holds a hearing to decide the fate of Khan and his people. And Kirk says, you know, doing this and putting you on a penal colony is just, that's a waste of who you are and all of your talents. And instead, we're going to do what you asked. We're going to find a planet and it's a good planet and there's nobody there. And if you want to colonize it and make it your own, that's fine. We'll do that. And so he allows them to settle on SETI Alpha 5, which is described as an uninhabited, fertile world that is no worse than Botany Bay Colony on Earth. So Kirk believes it'll be the perfect place for, for Khan to, to tame and you know really start building a, a culture. And Khan accepts Kirk's offer and, you know, and, and asks that McGiver's comes with him instead of getting court-martialed herself. And so 
that they that's how they decided to do it. And then Spock says, "You know what? I'm I'm interested to see what SETI Alpha Five turns into in a hundred years." And that's pretty much where Space Seed kind of leaves off. Yeah. So yeah, that definitely sets the groundwork for for what we find out in the movie. Yes. And I wonder what people would think of that episode without the Wrath of Khan, the movie. It'd be interesting to see. You know, of course, everybody, you know, knows Space Seed now and, and, uh, you know, enjoys the episode because of of the movie. But I wonder, you know, how, how big of a hit it would have been or it was before the movie. I didn't look anything up on that, but that'd be interesting to find out. Um, well, there's, there's some things I'm, I'm seeing now that at, at the time, one of the newspapers described it as a good piece of science fiction and another one called it imaginative and said it's particularly interesting for its commentary on the scientific know-how of the late 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, looking into the near future. 30 years. Yeah. So... I mean, it's it's now, yeah, placed near the top, but it's it's tough to say what it would have been at that time. Yeah. So I'm not finding too many other things that are talking about how it was ranked up until then. <laughs> My wife and I always laugh about that episode because of his, you know, he he goes through this intense stretching ritual when he wakes up, you know, to <laughs> g- gain his strength, and then it just it we well, yeah, that always makes us laugh, and we always. Pretend to be con, you know, waking up, ah, <laughs> doing our stretches. But oh, we don't always do it, but every once in a while we talk about that. But. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that brings us, or I guess that's that's the past. That's the history of con and mm-hmm. Kirk. Now, many years later, I guess it's been... Uh, 15 years. 15 years since then. Captain Kirk is now Admiral Kirk. And he is not on a spaceship anymore, even after the events of the first movie. He has got a desk job back on Earth, basically. And Spock is now captain of the Enterprise. And he is training a bunch of new cadets. And uh, Kirk is kind of overseeing their training or judging them on on if they're fit for duty and that kind of thing. The movie starts out with one of the young trainees, uh, Lieutenant Savick, who's played by uh, Kersey Alley in this movie. Yep. Uh, she is, they don't really mention it much, but I think they do comment that, you know, she is uh, part Vulcan, part Romulan, right? Um, I believe so. There's something in there about that. At least I know... I've learned, you know, since since the movie came out that the, I don't know if they make that explicit in the movie, but yes, half um, Vulcan, half Romulan, yeah. It was in novels and comic books is where that got expanded. Yeah, okay. Um but anyway, she she is uh, going through the famous it wasn't famous until this movie. But uh <laughs> since then, um the famous Kobayashi Maru test at the uh, academy or you know it kind of tests the fitness of somebody wanting to be a captain and it's basically mm-hmm. a no-win scenario there's Klingon cruisers they they want to save a ship the the Kobayashi Maru in in a new in the neutral zone 
course, they encounter Klingons, and there's really no way to win. And that's the whole point of this episode. So we talked about it when we talked about uh, the new uh, Star Trek 2009 movie. Right. Because it shows us what, what Kirk did back then. But uh, anyway, uh, she goes through that. And then, you know, of course, all the crew members, it's all a simulation, but all the crew members die at certain points. And uh, then Admiral Kirk comes in and, you know, assesses the situation and, you know, <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Savick is very concerned about how she's perceived and, you know, how she performed and, you know, th- that there was no way to win. And, you know, Kirk kind of, you know, says, well, you know, this, you have to face death out there in the, in the real world when you're out there in the stars, that kind of thing. Right. So anyway, that, that's, that's the opening of the, the movie. And, you know, of course, all the, all the old familiar faces are back, you know, Spock and, Uhura and Sulu and Scotty and uh, of course Dr. McCoy is always there. So anyway, we're reacquainted with everybody. It happens to be Kirk's birthday also, and so he's he's getting presents and and stuff from his former crew, and he has a long conversation with uh, Bones. In his cabin, and Bones is like, "Why are we treating this like a funeral?" You know, he's older than Kirk, and Kirk's acting like it's, you know, it's the end of the world. And right, a lot of discussions about age. Now, did he just turn fifty? Is that what it was? I don't know if there was a specific date, as much as just, you know, he's growing old. He's behind a desk. He doesn't see anything to in his future. Right, and uh, yeah, McCoy tells him he needs to go out and uh, get a command of another starship. And that right. kind of thing. So yeah, that that's their conversation, and he gives them some old reading glasses, some antique reading glasses that they don't make anymore. Uh, so that now they're going to go on this uh, kind of a what would you call it? A make or not makeshift, but uh, test run of the of the Enterprise with the new crew, kind of testing the cadets, seeing seeing how they do. Out in space right. doing real mission type stuff, but it's you know it's meant to be a light little uh, run out into space to just kind of muster up everybody and and uh, see how the ship flies and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just a little wanna... training voyage type thing. Yeah, a little yeah, a little training. And so then we we get that uh, we find that the Starship Reliant is on a mission to search. For a lifeless planet to test the Genesis device, which we don't know much about the Genesis device now. We just know that that's what is something that's going on during this whole whole movie at this point. And it's it's does something to reorganize dead matter into being a habitable world so it can like rebring life to a planet. And so they come to Seta Alpha 6. And they're looking at it, and they're they at first see no signs of life, but then there's this faint flicker of life, and so Captain Clark Terrell and very familiar First Officer Commander Pavel Chekhov beam down to evaluate the planet to see what's what's down there. And as they're going down, they they find some life signs, and then they get captured, and they find out that it's. Khan Noonan Singh and a few of his remaining crew. 
and he explains that they're now on SETI Alpha 5, that, you know, the, the exile that happened when they got left on SETI Alpha 5, the planet exploded, and then it devastated the surface of SETI Alpha 5 and moved it a little bit further out of orbit and kind of just ended up with the death of Khan's wife, which was Lieutenant McGevers and and a good portion of his crew. And so Khan just has this huge amount of resentment to Kirk because he never checked up on him and just pretty much left him to die. And now we find this awful thing, the the worst, most disgusting thing in all of Star Trek, <laughs> which is the indigenous eel larva. And it's a one of the few native things that survived along with Khan's people on it. It killed many people, including Lieutenant McGivers. And what it does is it'll create this little worm that then goes in the ear and makes people susceptible to suggestion and mind control until it eats them, basically their brain up and they die. Right. And so Khan puts those things into Captain Terrell's and Pavel Chekhov's helmets and they go in and he's able to control them. And capture the Reliant, and then he learns about this Genesis device, and he attacks the space station where it's being held, and and basically first makes it seem like Starfleet's doing it, and that they're going to come in and just take the Genesis device from the space station Regular One, which is a, a civilian. It's a Genesis device is a civilian project. And it's being controlled by one of Kirk's former lovers, Dr. Carl Marcus, right. and her son, David. And so, you know, she, she gets upset that she finds out that this is going to happen. So she gives a call out to Kirk, and then all of a sudden the transmission ends. And so, you know, that that's because Khan started jamming things and taking over the station. And so Kirk says, well, we need to get out there as fast as we can. So he takes command of the ship, and goes full speed onto regular one. Just a couple things about that, that sequence on SETI Alpha 5. Oh, yes. And uh, just, I just remember, I mean, I didn't, like say, I went into this movie, I had no knowledge of Space Seed and whatever, mm-hmm. but just uh, Chekhov's reaction when he sees yes. the the sign or whatever that says Botany Bay, and he's like, Botany Bay? Botany Bay, Captain, we need to leave now. And just that, right. that fear that he had. I mean, you feel that and you understand something bad is is on this ship or is associated with this ship. And I just remember that. Oh, yeah. That was that was a good moment. And then, man, Ricardo Montalban as Khan, he is just phenomenal in this. Yes. He's, he, sometimes he gets almost over the top, but not... He doesn't go over that edge, but he just gets right up there, you know, because he's yep. he's not the same calm, collected guy. He is very deranged. Well, I wouldn't say deranged, but just fixated on uh, vengeance on Kirk and blames him for the right. death of his wife and all that stuff. And I just love his performance in this. Um, it's so good. <laughs> it's so great. So, Yeah. Uh, Kirk, like you said, assumes command of the Enterprise. They, instead of just being on a little training mission, now they're actually doing something. And he says, oh, you're going to have to grow up, kids. And, uh, you know, we're on a real mission now. You know, not to scare them, but just to let them know that, 
you know, things are changing here. And so right. on their way to regular one, they run into the Reliant mm-hmm. and they're not sure what to do They're They initially Reliant won't respond. And uh, Savick, of course, is reporting regulations on, you know, that they should raise shields that they, if they, if the, <laughs> and all this stuff. And, and uh, Spock's like, the Admiral is very aware of all the regulations. You know, you don't need to be quoting them to her, to him or whatever. And so right. they go on and, and eventually, of course, you know, Khan attacks and starts firing on the Enterprise who is caught unawares with their shields down and uh, kind of defenseless. And uh, their systems start going out. They try to fire back, but really don't have enough firepower to do anything. And so they just get hit hard. Right. The engineering just gets wiped out. Well, not wiped out, but really hit hard. And Scotty's nephew, who this was his first mission out into space, he gets killed and just, you know, bad news, you know. And then then they find out that it's Khan and Kirk's like, oh, figuring things out or whatever. And But he keeps his cool and basically Khan wants them to surrender and he... Right. Of course, Kirk's like, take me, you know, let my crew live. You, you, you know, you want me, you don't want them. They haven't done anything. You don't know them, you know. But he says, uh, he says, I will spare your crew and take you only if you give me all the information you have on Project Genesis. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, he had briefed Spock and McCoy on what the Genesis device was and the power that it had. And so they understood the ramifications of somebody like Han would get a hold of that technology, what he could do. And so he says, okay, we'll, we'll send you all the information we have on SETI Alpha 5. And he says, you know, you have, what is it, five minutes or one minute or whatever he gives them. And so he starts talking to Spock and um, they devise to... Basically, if they know the command codes for the Reliant, they can take over the command codes of the ship and they can lower their shields and they can attack. And so that, you know, so it's a, it's one of Kirk's ploys and it it works. You know, they say, okay, we're sending over the information. They send over the the command codes and then they lower Khan's shields and they fire back and Khan's ship is out of commission and they have to retreat. And so both ships have been hurt pretty hard. But uh, the Enterprise takes off towards the space, sta- the science station uh, to see what they can do to save all the scientists there. And, of course, Carol Marcus. And so, but when they get there, there's nobody on Reliant and no no response from anybody. They, they want are worried that, you know, Khan came and attacked them. And so they... Decide to beam over. So who is it? Uh, it was Kirk, Bones, and Savick. And then Savick demands, you know, that she she comes because that's regulations. You know, she's very by right. the book. And uh, Kirk did say after, you know, they got out of the the mess there with Khan. He says, "You go on repeating all the regulations to me. Don't you know? Don't pander to me or whatever." Right. It's, that was kind of fun. And so they find that uh, nobody is on. The, well, there are some people that were killed by Khan on the space station, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the people that were there are are missing. They're gone. Uh, they do find Captain Terrell and uh, Chekhov. They were stuffed in a cabinet or something like that. Right. And they explain that they put animals in our in our minds or whatever, and you know took over us, and we couldn't do anything against it. And so they all find that there's a, a, these transporters and they, they find out that, oh, it looks like they went down to this asteroid and uh, that was part of, of Project Genesis. And so they're going to follow them down and go check out the asteroids or whatever. And so that's where they go. Right. So they go down to the asteroid and they discover the Genesis device down there. And then they see and meet uh, Carol Marcus and and her son David, and they're hiding inside it inside the the asteroid. And Khan uses Terrell and check off his spies. And as soon as they see the Genesis device, they com- they contact him, and he orders them to kill Kirk. And Terrell resists and shoots himself with a phaser which is pretty horrific. And then Chekhov kind of just collapses as the EL leaves his body. So I don't know what made him so special that he was able to do that, but it was very dramatic to see. And then Khan transports Genesis aboard the Reliant and intends on marooning Kirk on the planetoid, but is, is tricked because Kirk and Spock are talking about things too. And how, how long it would take if, if, Days were to be hours, then minutes were... I, I don't remember the exact quote. Right. But it was, basic, it was basically Scotty working his magic and fixing things significantly sooner than what they said. And so what they did discover is that the Genesis had been used, tested on, inside the asteroid. And there's this thriving ecological atmosphere in there. And there's plants and water. And it's just this amazing view to think of all of that life inside a, a dead asteroid. And so all of a sudden, you know, that they're all like, well, what are we doing? And Kirk's like, oh, don't worry about it. Let's just enjoy ourselves. I'm, I'm a little hungry. Are you hungry? And acts like there's nothing going on. Acts like he's young and spry and everything. And then all of a sudden he, he looks at his watch. He's like, oh, it's about time. And he calls up Spock. He's like, so, uh, Mr. Spock, how are we doing? And Spock's like, well, we're we're right on schedule as we said. And so he beams Kirk and the rest of the people up on board the Enterprise. And so then you've got, I think, Dr. Marcus goes to help Bones in the sick bay. And David stays on the bridge to see what's going on. And they they find out that the Enterprise still doesn't have shields, but does have weapons. So... She's still hurting a little bit. So Kirk makes the decision that if we go inside the nebula, then neither ship will have shields and the targeting systems won't be so good. So we'll be evenly matched. And so they they decide to do that and they run for it. And Khan sees it and chases after him. And then Spock says something about Khan is thinking on a two-dimensional field and we're in a three-dimensional space. Right. So use the vertical for verticality of space into it and they're 
able to do that and disable Reliant. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful scenes in this nebula. The two ships flying so close to each other, not able to see each other, and just this. I, I don't know what they used. I'm, I'm assuming there's some painting in there and whatever else they use for the special effects to show that nebula in there. But it's it's just so beautiful to watch this. It is, yeah. And see these, these two ships just fly by each other. And then every once in a while they just get a few shots in. And Enterprise just comes out on top. And it's, it's actually kind of cool because it's like... You see the Reliant fly in towards you, and then all of a sudden, here comes the Enterprise up from below it and ends up right behind it in time to, to shoot at the Reliant. But Enterprise also gets damaged during this fight, and so Kirk's dealing with it, and Spock says, no, I'll, I'll go help in engineering and leaves. And so Spock's no longer on the bridge, and then... Khan is on the bridge of the Reliant and he's mortally wounded and he's the only one left alive and he activates the Genesis and he quotes Captain Ahab from the novel Moby Dick as he <laughs> dies and it's just he vexes me right it's just yet again here are these these two guys just so obsessed with each other that they're ignoring what else is going on and you know it, it cost Khan all of his people, and it's we'll find out here soon what it's going to cost Kirk. And so Kirk detects the ad- activation, and they attempt to move out of range, but they're not going to be able to escape the nebula in time without the warp drive being kicked in. And so Spock goes to help with that, and the, the warp drive, there's too much radiation in there, and anybody that goes in is going to die. You know, and, and Scotty's... You know, already has some radiation sickness and can't do anything. And McCoy's like trying to treat him, and he tries to prevent Spock from going in to fix the warp drive. And Spock gives him the Vulcan neck pinch and makes him pass out. But then does a mind meld, telling him to remember. You don't really know what's going on there. And then Spock goes into the warp drive and and is able to fix it just in time for the Enterprise to get to warp and get out of the. Explosion from the Genesis. And of all the explosions I've seen in Star Wars and Star Trek, this one was probably one of the the coolest and most beautiful because it's just, it's destruction, but it's also creation at the same time with Genesis because there was a planet there and it's reforming the new planet and creating it into this beautiful act of life. I guess a couple things that I realized we, we didn't discuss oh. was that we find out that David is is Kirk's son. Oh yes, <laughs> which you know is kind of expected once you know once they're all together. But you know David hasn't been right. told that Kirk's his father. Kirk's kind of having a hard time with that because David's kind of aggressive against him. So all the this whole thing of the, his age comes into it again. Right. But yeah. So now that they're safe, but now. They uh, they call up to the bridge and Kirk, you know, is like, "What, you know, thanks for for giving us warp and everything." And Scotty's like, "You should come down here, Captain." You know, just very serious, of course. And then Kirk looks around and realizes that Spock isn't there, and so he knows something's going on with Spock, and so he runs down to uh, engineering. 
to the warp core and uh, tries to go in to get Spock. But then, of course, they stop him and say, you know, you'll kill us all and let radiation in. And he's like, but Spock is like, I think it was Scotty that said he's he's already dead. Uh, Spock yeah. is, is blind at this point and he's weak. <clears throat> he is dying from the radiation, uh, but he's able to make his way over to the wall. Uh, that's kind of a, like a transparent wall between Spock and Kirk. And, um, you know, they're able to say their last goodbyes. And, and they had, t- had a conversation earlier, uh, very famous, you know, quotes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Or the needs of the many outweighs the needs of the few or the one. And right. so uh, Spock repeats that, you know, explaining that, them all being safe outweighs um, the importance of, of just him, the one. Right. And, uh, you know, they say goodbye to each other and then he dies. And Kirk doesn't know what to do with that. He just kind of quietly says no and sits down on the floor and, and just kind of stares out. He's never faced that kind of death. Out. I mean, he's he's been in perilous situations and people have died, but uh, never... Never like that. And, and David comes and talks to him. And, that you know, they kind of talk about that, that he's never experienced that kind of death. You know, he's he's always outwitted the uh, the no-win scenario or the, those kinds of things. And so... Right. But he... Spock's dead. They have a funeral for him. They put him in a torpedo tube. And they uh, shoot it out to the Genesis planet. And uh, the, one of the, I think the very last scene of the movie, we see the little torpedo pod on the planet. And, uh, yeah, it's really emotional. Of course, I, every time I watch it, I'm still emotional. Not necessarily right. crying, but uh, just feeling the emotion, you know, of that yes. situation. Man, I, I talked about uh, Ricardo Montalban acting great. I think this is the best William Shatner has ever acted uh, this movie. He is great. I mean, he, I yes. mean, he, he's always had chops, right? And we kind of make fun of him for overacting, but when he needs to, he can really uh, pull off a scene. And this right. whole movie, he was just, he's great. This is the best acting, I think, of, uh, of all the movies. I don't know. We'll have to watch them all and I can, See if he's right. if he's still as good in all the other ones, but just just from my memory watching this movie this time, I was really impressed with William Shatner and his acting in this, and not just the emotions, but just you know just all the things that, and the plot is so good, and and it's such a tight movie too, where it is, you know, just they go. It's really small as far as wh- where they go and what they do, you know. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're on Earth, and then they go out into space, and then they go to the Reliant One, and the nebula is right there, and all of it takes place, you know, really close. And I don't know, I I have nothing but good good to say about the the movie. Oh uh, yeah. My only question I have, and I still <laughs> still don't know the answer, is why does Scotty bring his nephew up to the bridge? When, you know, like his his nephew's been injured. Right. You know, he's in bad shape. And he brings, instead of bringing him to the med bay, he brings him up to the bridge. And I've, I've never really figured out, other than dramatic impact for the movie, why he right. would bring him up to the bridge. But 
I mean, you who knows? Maybe maybe the nephew asked, but I mean, yeah, it, it's for dramatic impact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And uh, I guess this was the first time my wife commented on it first. I never knew that the little, that the young kid that dies was Scotty's nephew. Hmm. Did you know that going in before you watched it this time? I uh, I thought uh, I don't remember. I mean, well, it didn't surprise me. If you me. didn't, there's probably a reason. Because when I was telling, you know, I sent a picture to Rish, you know, of the movie and said, ah, watch this tonight at the theater or whatever. And uh, he said, was it the theatrical version or, or the director's cut? Right. And I said, I think it was the, the theatrical version. And then, you know, I didn't hear back from him until like the next day or whatever. And then he said, was... The young cadet was was he Scotty's nephew, and I didn't put that together with what the question he was asking before about whether it was a director's cut. But I guess in the right. theatrical version, they don't say anything about him being Scotty's hmm. nephew. Okay, and so no, it's the director's cut that they put that scene back in. I guess they well they had cut a lot of his lines. That young kid, I can't remember his name, right. but and so I did go back. Because I, I got, oh, that was one of the things I was going to talk about at the beginning. I don't have the movies anymore. I mean, I think I, I might still have the old VHS t- right. uh, tapes, or some of them at least. But we don't have a VHS player anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and I thought I had some of the DVDs, but I guess I don't. And then I thought, well, I'll just watch it on Paramount+. Plus. But they've yeah. taken some of the movies off of Paramount Plus now. Uh, have they? And, and so when I went to watch this again so that we could record, and I'd have it fresh in my mind, because it's been, what, a month or two since we saw it in the theater. Yeah, so, at least. So I wanted to watch it again. So I, I bought a 10-disc uh, <laughs> set of uh, all, the, all the movies up to Nemesis. Okay. From motion picture up to Nemesis. So I have the director's cut, and I had some, what do you call it, extras, and I didn't, I, I wish I would have watched it with a commentary before we did this, but I did watch a couple little little extra documentaries and stuff about it, so. But anyway, yeah, so okay. that's, we saw the director's cut on, when we, when we saw it in the theaters, so. All right. Well, we, we do have a question from Rish Outfield. We, I thought we were going to be able to get him to discuss this movie with us. Cause this of course is, is uh, one of his favorite movies as well. You know, most yes. people, like you said, wrath of Khan is their favorite star Trek movie. And uh, yes, yeah, it's one of, one of Rish's as well. So I, I really kind of wanted to get him on here to, to talk about it with us, but he did have a question for us. So uh, we, we should probably play that and, and talk about that a little bit here. All right. Hey guys, I really wish I could be with you there today talking about Wrath of Khan. I love that movie. I, I am, I'm such a huge fan of Star Trek II. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm participating as I always do with a question. Although this, I gotta warn you, this will probably be like a two minute long question. In Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, James T. Kirk turns 50. I don't believe they 
come right out and say what the number is. But I, it's always been my understanding that he turns 50. I did look it up. Bill Shatner was already 50, turned 51 during the production. And Kirk ruminates that his best times are behind him, that he's old, that he is no longer the young swashbuckling hero that he once was. Uh, gallivanting across the cosmos is a game for the young, he says. And when I first saw Wrath of Khan, I was a little boy. My dad took me to see it in the theater. And, you know, the whole idea of Captain Kirk being old was new and but it was brave, right? I've seen the movie countless times since then. But now, here we are, 2022. And Marshall's already been there. I'm, I'm about to get there. Keith, it's, uh, it's coming up. We're all going to be 50. We're all approximately where Captain Kirk is in this movie. How does your age, your maturity, your middle-agehood change the way that you view Wrath of Khan and Captain Kirk and the thing with the glasses and the why are we treating your birthday like a funeral bit? Uh, that, that, that's a question that, that I have. I mean, I'd love to be able to talk about other things like Khan, uh, Savik. You know, how does knowing that Savik was supposed to be half Vulcan, half Romulan, how does that influence how you see the character? Of course, that, none of that matters because all that's gone. I... I would I would love to talk about Khan and the movie and the score and the ending uh, forever. So, like I said, I envy that you guys get to do it. Uh, anyway, enjoy. I am looking forward to this episode, th- this one more than any of the others that you've done. So, yeah, so... I think he's just calling us old. <laughs> it is interesting, you know... I think of this movie as the second movie of six with the original cast. And Mm -hmm. as I was watching it this time, I thought, wow, if, (laughs) if Captain Kirk feels old or Admiral Kirk feels old in Star Trek (laughs) two, you know, we, we've seen them all get really old as time has gone on. And especially, you know, with the undiscovered country with Star Trek six, and so right. it's kind of interesting that he's dealing with his age here in this, this movie. But, yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll let you talk first as far as seeing this when you were a young kid versus this last time now that you're closer to 50 than, than you were right. back then. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> now, I mean, it's uh, it is a little bit different. And... I mean, it's it's kind of that thing where here you've got Kirk, who has a child, but doesn't know it until he's over 50 already, and the kid's a full-grown adult, and he's barely got to know him, and then, you know, his whole life has literally been flying around in a, in a starship, and when he does get retired, like, 
he he does have that feeling of what does he have to look forward to and it's it's almost that he sacrificed his own future and his own happiness you know for that that thrill of of being out in space because you know i i don't feel i mean i try, i feel old some days more than others <laughs> but i don't feel like i don't have anything to look forward to because you know the the kids the kids are what what it's all about and looking forward to them and seeing what they become and seeing where they go not necessarily where i go and that's not something that kirk has any experience with and i think that that's an interesting <laughs> that's that's the way i'm looking at it because that's that's what my experience is yeah yeah you know i definitely feel my age sometimes and uh you know i think back or i'm looking back at things that i did you know like i was building remodeling houses and building rooms and walls and crawling up in the attic with electrical cables and wires and i was right. ambitious <laughs> and i did a lot you know of scouting and camping and hiking and all this stuff and i'm just like man i just can't do that anymore i'm a, i feel old you know yep and, you sneeze I, and all of a sudden your back goes out <laughs> exactly yeah so i i get it you know i i i can see where captain kirk is feeling that way yeah, had had I been in a military career or something like that, you know, definitely as a soldier or a captain or whatever, you know, you would definitely feel more or less effective mm -hmm. in your fifties when you're fifty than uh, than when you're young. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a different look. You know, when I watched it as a kid. All that stuff just passed right over my head. I wasn't thinking about... I didn't understand what was going on with the Kobayashi Maru. I didn't really right. know what they were talking about in Kirk's apartment building or whatever. It just... You know, I just understood the action stuff and the the cool ship and, and everything that was going on with that. So... Um, right. But yeah, now those deeper themes, I really appreciate them, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Like I said, the the acting and the just the journey of of this crew, because really they're pretty young in this movie compared to like you know, when you get down the road to five and six and things like that. So, right. Well, I mean, this is the the other part of this movie that we didn't discuss is that this is really the beginning of its own individual trilogy. Where Star Trek two, three, and four are very directly related, where each one picks up where the previous one left off. Right. And so, I mean, this is this is the the beginning of that. So it it did certainly make a difference there too, because there there's things that they tie in, like with the glasses that Kirk gets in in this one. It plays a big role in in four there for a second and it's it's kind of interesting some of the little things that that go on like that too and it's i mean it's it's this is a good one and they they really did plan things out they didn't just plan this one movie they they did have an idea of where somewhat where they were going in the future because they did tie a lot of things in and set up little seeds here in this one ready for those 
Yeah, it's really, really interesting how this movie came together, too. I've, I've read a little mm-hmm. bit on it, and I watched that little documentary. Uh, Nicholas Myers is the director of this mm-hmm. film, and he came into the film without being a fan of Star Trek. He just kind of learned things a little bit. I think he watched right. Space Seed and and things like that just to get himself familiar with it. But But, but by the time he was involved in the movie... It had had like five different scripts, and uh, yeah. Gene Roddenberry was kind of locked out of this one as far as development because they felt that he really caused a lot of chaos in the first movie. Right, and, and uh, like I was saying, Nicholas Myers kind of inherited this, and he read all five scripts and uh, didn't kind of saw that you know, none of those really worked. Some of them had cons, some of them didn't. Some of them right. had various elements that ended up in the movie. And he he went through and he asked some of the key people what their favorite parts of these different scripts were. And he made sure to include all of those. In, and he sat down and wrote the script in like t- 10 or 12 days or something like that. And uh, there were some changes that went through it um, during the production. And I guess William Shatner wasn't happy with some of it. And then... <laughs> I think Nicholas Myers realized that he just wanted to be a bigger deal <laughs> in the movie, right. you know, which, you know, that's, we've seen that over the years for sure. Some of that jockeying for positions of Shatner and others, of but course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just fascinating that, and, and they had the, uh, the person in charge of it, the main producer, I think was part of the television division of Paramount instead of the motion picture. And the budget was really, Small compared to the first movie. Right. And uh, I think when you do some of those things, when your budget is small and you have to get creative and and whatever, I think that really does enhance some of the creativity. And like like we talked about, this, the, the economy, well, that's not a good word because you think financial, but just the, you know, how tight this movie is, some of that right. is because they didn't have the budget to go bigger. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it made for such a better script and, and action and stuff, right. I thought, anyway. Yeah, sometimes having a smaller budget does does end in a significantly happier result. Like, same thing with Jaws. They wanted to show the shark all those times, but the fact that you don't see it so much makes it better. Because it, it was does. always broken and, and not working. And Well, so. and even Star Wars, you know, the difference between yeah. the... The first couple Star Wars movies and the prequels and stuff like that, you can definitely tell. Yeah. So it's all about the miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> Not CGI miniatures. No. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, so. I guess they reused a lot of the same, some of the same shots and a lot of the same models and sets that they had from the first movie and some other things. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool to to get into all that. And one of the things we didn't talk about, Rish mentioned it in his question. About the score, James Horner's score for this is just phenomenal. Oh, so good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't think I mean, of this movie without that score. You, you just hear it and you're like oh oh it's that's a good one and it's it just 
brings in the, the atmosphere and the feeling and just so many things. And it's got it's got good themes throughout. And it's not just the, the main theme, which is different than like I always think the main theme is of these movies is like the next generation theme, which it does become, but this movie's different. Right. It doesn't have that yes. theme. Uh, but even the theme of this movie, you know, just the the scenes in the nebula and stuff when they're in there, and just the the music behind it, just really builds the tension and the excitement of everything. And yeah, just everything came together for this movie. <laughs> everything aligned. Oh, so this. good. What did you think of, uh, or what have been your thoughts over the years of Savick crying at the funeral? Um. I mean, it's. It, I think it it was interesting because it showed something that we don't see, and, and usually it's that Vulcans are don't show any emotion. But here is such somebody with such an influence. I mean, Spock. It's you know again, argue, everybody's got their favorite character, and and you could say you know Scotty's mine or or Sulu or whoever it happens to be, but so many people will just love Spock. Even if he's not their favorite, they love Spock. And it's just such a heartbreaking thing. Whereas I think if it was Kirk, it wouldn't quite be the same reaction from people. So I think if that kind of played into us as the audience, like that, that is how we feel seeing Spock die is, you know, here it, it it we know it's not real it's obviously not but i mean it's it's the same thing we we shouldn't be crying over a fictional character but but we do too sometimes and it's oh yeah i i i like that actually yeah me too and you know like the first time i saw it it just made sense to me that that she'd be crying at the funeral but as i learned more about vulcans and their logic versus emotion and that kind of stuff i guess but then i guess if you throw in the romulan the half romulan right. thing then that makes sense but i know i've heard a lot of people talk about that but uh yeah the death of spock was a big deal that was one of the things leonard nimoy wasn't going to do the movie until they said well you're going to have a big death scene he's like oh okay i'll come for that <laughs> Kind right. of thing. And uh, then word got out that Spock was going to die in the movie. And fans were all mad and and uh, writing letters and petitions and stuff. And death threats even. Um, right. You can't kill Spock. And it turns out, I guess, Gene Roddenberry was the one that leaked the script and stuff out there. So just lots of weird <laughs> stuff, too, with this movie behind the scenes. And... Uh, but man, it's so effective, um, right? And and works really well. And they found a good way around it. You know, uh, L- Leonard Nimoy enjoyed the experience of filming this so much that he wanted to do more movies after this. So, right. Um, so they put in the scene where he does the mind meld with uh, Bones, and they added that scene at the end with the the little uh, torpedo cocoon thing. <laughs> on yep. the Genesis planet and stuff like that to kind of give the signal that, Hey, there, there's more here going on than, than what you're seeing, but you still have the emotional impact of his death. And you know, that's, so yes. you get the best of both worlds, I think with that. 
Agreed. I don't know anything else do you, you wanted to talk about. We're kind of gone on for a while, but I don't mind so much on this talk about this movie. But. Oh, no, never. And it is actually interesting that Nicholas Meyer did come back and co-wrote the script for Star Trek Four, but then came back to co-write and direct Star Trek Six, Undiscovered Country, which is, you know, <laughs> my favorite of the original crew. And I think there's several other people who who definitely put it near the top of their lists. And oh, it's yeah, it's it's another great one for sure. It's it is. It's so good. But I mean, it's for me. It's it's the murder mystery, and that's what I like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one is phenomenal as a movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no. it probably is a better movie, but there's just something about a murder mystery that just brings me in. <laughs> <laughs> and when you compare it with five, the the difference is just staggering, <sighs> you know. <laughs> oh, five. Oh. I mean, I I don't mind five as as much as some people, but yeah, just compared with the other stuff, it's it's not. Yeah, I just I remember seeing that in the dollar theater. So, and I oh, really? I remember being <laughs> yeah, and I remember thinking that I shouldn't have spent that much money on it <laughs> i guess i guess i do have to rewatch it at some point and actually oh, yeah. give it we'll, more we'll of a get fair to that view one too yeah so, uh, th- the next movie that we do whenever we do that i don't know man i i think it's uh, it's not going to compare i think it's going to no. be it's going to be lessened in my opinion than it has been in the past after watching this again agreed because we'll, we'll be agreed. watching star trek into darkness next time we get together and talk about a Star Trek movie. So, all right, that'll be an interesting comparison <laughs> to see them back to back like that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for following us on our trek here, talking about the movies of Star Trek. It's kind of fun to depart from our typical journey here and and to go on to talk about the movies. And if you'd like to follow us when we're talking about all the series, up next in our agenda is talking about Strange New Worlds. So we're really looking forward to talking to you about that as well. And uh, then we'll get into the second half of the first season of the original series where we'll hit Space Seed again. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up. The the main episodes of this only come out on the Journey Into Patreon at the $3 level. So I encourage you to head on over to patreon.com slash journey into and uh, check out uh, what's offered there. And especially take a look at the, the Trekker level. Or the, or the Comic Cave level because Marshall puts out some very good content about comics. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that now that I'm kind of getting getting momentum behind the the comics cave so that that's the spelunker level oh, spelunker. So. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just you know see if you just want to be a base camper then that's fine too just that's the one dollar level where you get uh, early and extra stuff as well so um, love to have you come over and, and check that out and uh we'll be back either talking about a movie on the main feed or we'll be back in just a little bit probably talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yes. So, Keith, 
Live long and prosper. Peace and long life, Marshall. All right, good night. Good night. This particular episode of Trekkin was produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative license, which means that you can share it with as many people as you would like, but you cannot change it or sell it. And please let people know where you got it from. did have a question for us so uh we we should probably play that and and talk about that a little bit here all right uh i always forget to prepare that (laughs) and you were so nice to send it to me and i forgot to listen to it (laughs) oh you haven't listened to it yet no ah okay well i'm ready though he asked me how old I was before he had, he put in this question to you. <laughs> Rish's questions. All right. I don't know what my... Okay, here we go. I did. Well, actually, I think about a week and a half ago. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I watched it last Saturday and prepped for last week. Right. And then you just... Did too much with big. I understand. <laughs> I did. And then this morning I was like, ah, because I had to get up early. Right. Be to work at like 5.30. So I'm like, yeah. okay, but I can't quit on, on uh, Keith tonight. So. For the third week in a row. <laughs> For the third week in a row. So. I'm feeling pretty good. So. That's good. <laughs>